We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's the True Faith Podcast. My name is Emil Franchi, hosting today with Charlotte Robson and Andy Brassel, who you may have heard the other week if you're on Patreon, uh, chatting about one of his favourites, Bruno Guimaraes, one of our favourites now, a, a shared entity in all of our lives. Uh, here we are today. And if you do want to hear a bit more of Andy, then uh, do check out Patreon. We are on there right now. You can join us. It is going to be great as we head towards the new season because we are not far away now. Newcastle are in Austria. But we're talking about the future of Newcastle today because uh, we're rich, if you haven't noticed. Uh, we do mention it quite a lot. Moneybags is our middle name. And it does mean that Newcastle now are potentially one of those clubs that we loved to hate about two years ago when they started to form the much maligned European Super League. Now, if you don't remember the European Super League, no one wanted this from a fan's perspective. It was a lot of owners and everything like that. But it was very much a case of thinking, right, well, if this takeover does go through, where did Newcastle fit into all of that? And that is basically where we start today. So, Andy, I mean, first of all, thank you very much for coming on again. Um, Pleasure. Can you get your metal detector or whatever you need for this, the ESL detector out and just tell us, where that is at the moment? Is it like uh, like a ghost that needs to re-strengthen and come back, or is that idea dead and it's it's maybe coming back in other iterations? Yeah, well, I guess a lot of people, and certainly UEFA, thought they'd headed the idea off at the past. If we go back to, I guess about sixteen, seventeen months ago, when um, th- th- this first uh, exploded on a, on a, on a Sunday night, um, UEFA were completely caught on the hop not because uh, big clubs were thinking of a Super League, but they thought they had done away with it by the reformatting of the Champions League, which will start in 2024. Um, The much maligned, mocked um, Swiss model, in inverted commas, where (laughs) it's um, one big league and it looks like more games, a lot more dead rubbers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. the club's making more money, but not particularly great for, for the fans. Uh, I think it's, it's, it's fair to say. Obviously, that, that, that's been adjusted in a few very minor ways since. Um, but that's what caught UEFA by surprise so much because they thought, and it's always a balancing act if, if you're UEFA. Now, they get a lot of criticism for some of the elements of their, their competitions and other stuff, and sometimes justifiably. Um, but ever since... 
really the 1980s it's been a balancing act for them because they want to have a competitive competition they want to have competition that makes everyone money but they've got to all the time make sure the biggest clubs don't up and leave and start their own thing um which for for what it's worth i don't think would be particularly great for sport either because we're sort of at this weird juncture at the moment between sport and entertainment now many of the clubs would prefer it to be more in an entertainment than a sport direction you know it feels like sometimes we're we're losing the true meaning of of, of sport and and what it's 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 really about but no this idea hasn't gone away because clubs still see um another entity uefa really governing their financial future that's the way they see it to what extent just to pick up on something there hello it's charlotte i'm also here um hi to what extent is sport as entertainment or primarily as entertainment um a product of american influence on the game um because i really feel and maybe i'm wrong but as someone who sometimes um ingests is the wrong word but like watches american sport it does feel like it's way more of an entertainment thing it's like you know um what game was it recently where camilla cabello was playing before the champions, champions league final yeah, the champions was, yeah. league final and the, i was like what is going on here it feels like the the um super bowl or something like that to, to what extent do you think it's it's that influence I think that's that's part of it, definitely, Charlotte. And I think if you look at the way that football's going, it seems like a battle in terms of ownership between the big state-run clubs. So Manchester City, Paris Saint-Germain, you can perhaps add Newcastle to that as, yeah. as, as, as time goes by. And the ones that are run by... Americans. So, you know, that's increasingly, it's not just Liverpool, although, of course, they're probably the best, most successful example of that in football. Um, but it's also um, half of Serie A at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Milan are going in that direction. Uh, Roma, um, so many other clubs. And I think that will, we've just had uh, Leon actually talking to Bruno Guimarães being uh, taken over by a majority uh, US ownership as, as, as well. Um, one of the guys who's a, a major shareholder at Crystal Palace. Um, so I, I think that is part of it. It's always the business plan is, is being seen through American eyes like never before. Right. But have, having said that, I do think that I think the Camilla Cabello point is a really interesting one because um if you go back to if you look at that and the way that people reacted to that and if you look at the way that people had uh, reacted to what my children call the imagine dragons final in 2019 where th- they played before the start of liverpool versus tottenham honestly i think it was probably one of the most memorable bits of, of the final because it wasn't it wasn't a great final as it's often not between two sides from, from from the same country. The way that football fans reacted to that shows, I think, what a cultural gap there is between US sport and European football still. I, I think it's absolutely massive. And the, the other side of it, the good side of US sport, the fact that you have a salary cap, which means that you can't have, you know, ob- obviously the salary cap is negotiable within reason until you get to the 
hard cap in NBA and, and NFL. But what it means is if you're like, it's, take NBA. Say if you're the San Antonio Spurs or the Golden State Warriors and you win like four titles in nine years or whatever, that's an incredible effort. You know, it, it doesn't happen anymore that, you know, you get a Juventus or a, a Bayern Munich winning it 10 years in a row. That That just can't happen. But football's too far gone for that as well. So if we're talking about the best and the worst of American influence, I think the way football is in terms of fans and cultural resistance, in terms of making it a spectacle. And, you know, I think Nasser Al-Khalifi, the president of Paris Saint-Germain, has talk, talked about making the Champions League more like the Super Bowl. I don't see how that can happen. And on the other hand, the salary cap, which would be something quite positive. OK, you have that to a certain extent in La Liga with you, you've been able to spend a maximum of 70% of revenue um, on your wages. But Barcelona, Atletico Madrid, et cetera, et cetera, will always find a way and always are are, are finding a way. Um, I, I think the horse has bolted with that as well. And I think it's very, very difficult to think of something similar that makes everything more egalitarian and sporting, to go back to what we were talking about before. Yeah, yeah. and, and you, men- you mentioned a lot there about fans resistance and, and all of that kind of thing do you think that it was the the response of the fans that was going to do it because you've uh, mentioned on your own podcast football ramble andy that um th- there was a little bit of an idea that uefa was so prepared for this they knew about it they were immediately there with that statement to say no but then fans and social media and everything that we've got these days was just absolutely away from it i remember vividly the chelsea bus getting halted all of those incidents that happened over a very, very short period of time, it was like bringing down like a, the Trojan horse or something like that that they tried to yeah. sneak in. Everyone was attacking it from all angles. So is that the reason it has failed? Has it failed completely? Is that is that it? UEFA were always hoping for English fans to do something, I think. You, you said they had something prepared. That, that's true to an extent, but it felt like, you know, we're going to crisis plan number one. It, they they didn't know it was coming. They knew it might have been coming at some point. So they had their break glass in case of emergency. Um, but but yeah, I think when you look at the reactions in, in different countries, if you look at um, Spain and uh, Italy, there was a degree of resignation. Mm. I, I mean, the, the fan power is even greater in Germany. So none of their clubs are even going to try. You know, I, I don't think they're totally closed to the discussion. Obviously, Dortmund and Bayern are happy to work together to make more money. I don't think there's any doubt about that. But they know what what is the limits within their cultural framework. Whereas I think a lot of those owners, those new owners that you were talking about before, Charlotte, they were really taken by surprise at the strength of feeling from those English fans. I think as well, they just, yeah, it was... I think they were taken by surprise at the strength of feeling and then taken by surprise that it the longevity of that strength of feeling, like it wasn't just a, a mm. an up and then, a, okay, it's not going to go away. It's like, a no, we are going to continue protesting and making this difficult unless you make a change. And it wasn't just to the owners of the clubs, it was to the government. It was like the FSA then got on to the government and, and you know, it was it was in your mm. podcast, uh, Kev, Kev Miles from the FSA saying populist leaders see what's popular. That was very yeah. clearly the popular exactly. opinion. So it was really interesting. 
Yeah, and it's it's worth checking out as well. Uh, just been re-released uh, on the Football Rumble as we record today. But uh, if people want to find that, Andy, what, what was the name again? Uh, Back from the Brink. Back it's from a, the brink. a three-part miniseries on, uh, on Football Rumble, yeah. Yeah, well, worth checking out for that one. Uh, advertising another podcast there. Uh, we're going <laughs> to go to uh, some of our own adverts right now, just to make sure we're not taking too many people away. And uh, as always, if you want to skip through these adverts, if you don't want to hear them, then you can join us on Patreon. Uh, we will be there with so much bonus content for a very small price. And you get about 30 podcasts every month. In part two, we're going to bring Newcastle United into this and see how they fit in. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to part two of the True Faith podcast, joined by European football expert and from the Football Ramble, Andy Brassel. Uh, Andy, Newcastle United uh, have had a transformation like no other mm-hmm. in, in recent, uh, well, in the, all within the last year. It sounds weird saying that, but we're not even up to the year anniversary of Newcastle's takeover. But that purchase of Newcastle United, which, of course, has its own problems that come with it, um, that might turn Newcastle into... Well, what will it be by then? A top eight by that point? Top ten three, teams? Top three. top three. Sorry, top one. I'll go all cluff on everyone right now. But how how does that purchase change things? You know, because obviously money coming in is something that rattled the original pack, which is why we saw them wanting to break off and perhaps safeguard their status. Does Does Newcastle coming into it a rattle them even further thinking well we've got no protection still or or do we think that Newcastle would be one of those had the takeover gone through earlier say uh being one of those clubs that would have would have joined that pack yeah they would have been interested I I don't think there's any doubt about that and you look already at the moves that the, the way that the club has been run since it's been taken over has been ambitious but not reckless I think you can't really make a comparison with even when Manchester City, who've who've been smartly run. I mean, you look at um, everything they've done in the community, those PR wins that get people on your side. And we're seeing 
developing the area around what was then the city of Manchester and now the Etihad Stadium. And Newcastle are playing from the same playbook to a certain extent. You know, you look at the improvements, the long overdue improvements and then the move, presumably, of of, of training centre. Um, you look at the investment that's going to go into the women's team who I think are going to get a lot, lot better uh, really, really, really quickly. But there's been no Rubinho on the other hand. You know, they've, they've not, they're not going to go out there and buy Neymar or anything mad like that. They're doing the right thing. And I think even if you look at some of the big signings in January, if you look at Chris Wood and Kieran Trippier, on one hand, people will go, I can't believe they've paid that much for Chris Wood. On the other hand, they've not given him a four-year contract or anything like that, which I think is quite interesting. They've set their stall out to be sustainable. And sustainable, as we've seen with the Noon deal as well, means investment, means sponsorship, and means looking at revenue streams. And that is, I think, where they're going to get to the point where, where they're going to spend big. When they're bringing in an appropriate amount of money, when they're on their way to becoming a real global brand um, rather than what they are at the moment. Because it's funny, what you were saying at the start of that, Emil, I find fascinating because the way I can't think of a club really in the Premier League and maybe not in Europe that's perceived so differently outside the city than it is inside the city. Because I, I kind of feel that Newcastle fans feel no one wants us to succeed, and people outside the city don't really understand what the expectation is, what the desire is. There's always these cliches about Newcastle fans being really demanding and unreasonable, which are completely untrue. So really, what there's, there's such a, a disconnect between what people inside the city feel, feel about the, the, the team and everyone else does. Now, that's going to change, I think, because they're going to become a club that is global news and globally popular so that is going to change a lot over the over the next little while but in terms of them being involved on a sort of super league level i think before we get, even get to the super league when we talk about the champions league and the 2024 reformatting if i was someone who was designing the reformat who wanted to get newcastle involved it's exactly the plan that i would have come up with i think because basically the extra place that falls to teams outside the top four is always going to be a Premier League club because they're always going to be either first or second in the coefficient, probably first, unless Real Madrid go on some incredible rampage and Barcelona and Atletico recover in the next couple of years, their European, their continental status. So really, when Newcastle are in the next few seasons going for fifth, sixth, they will be ready to receive and I think they will be involved in the Champions League pretty quickly, maybe without even making the top four as this starts. It's I don't really agree with you. Sorry, Emil. That's all right. I, I don't agree with you that Newcastle fans think everybody doesn't want them to succeed. But I do agree that there's a disconnect between the way that we see the club mm. and and I also accept that I'm a Newcastle fan living in Newcastle. So... I'm unable to see this like, <laughs> probably with the clarity that you do. It but... is the, it's the siege mentality though, isn't it? it, it there is There has been that. We've seen it mm. in like the, the defence of the, the green and white kit. You know, that there's been bits of that where I guess that might be 
how it comes across. That's not about success, is it? That's about like uh, like a, a fairly like clearly probably antagonistic choice on the part of the kit manufacturers or the kit designers or whatever. Like, let's let's be real. It's a kit that's going to get worn maybe once, but they like people who were involved in that probably knew that that was going to draw some comparisons. It's not about that as much as it is like for me. I just think, I think, I don't think other, like fans of other clubs or people from the outside looking in don't want us to succeed. But I do feel that they think we're deluded, if that makes sense, or like that we're. Does that? Am I making? Am I? Am I missing your point? Sports watch. No, I, I, I think. I think it does make sense, but I think there is a change in that feeling as well. I think. Okay. I, I, th- I think that, that you're right. Like going back a year or two, like maybe not even that long. Maybe just pre-takeover. Yes, I think a lot of people outside with a passing knowledge of Newcastle f- felt that fans were deluded, unrealistic, or all, all, all that sort of all those sort of big cliches. But I think now, of course, it always happens when you become modern Manchester City, when you become modern Chelsea, people do not want you to succeed. I mean, yeah. just because they're paranoid, it doesn't mean they're, they're not after you. <laughs> <And> <laughs> I, I, I think that's maybe the case here. Okay, I'll concede that. <laughs> it should probably just caveat as well. Andy does live in Newcastle, so yeah, he, he lives and breathes as well as travelling around to other places. So um, yeah, just in case any Newcastle fans are like, well, you wouldn't know, would you? Um, yeah, you Andy, do get Andy, that. And, you Andy's there that. quite a lot. He, he, know, he knows. He, 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 he really likes the drummer outside of the ground on a match day. I'll, I'll, I'll point that out. But um, oh, good old joke. Come on, good old Aww, drumming joke. So <laughs> oh, he, he, he has a sign next to his drum, Charlotte. So it's, it's not. It's not like a. A relationship terms, Sorry. <laughs> Why let facts get in the way of a good story? Eh? Uh, onwards, though. <laughs> so, yeah, sorry. I, I, I don't know if we maybe covered this fully, but just with that Super League thing in mind, um, you know, with, with the Newcastle sale falling through, do, do you reckon there was perhaps a sigh of relief with that bit as well? Thinking, OK, that that's that done. Or was there a bit of an idea that the Premier League were always going to change the decision eventually um i, I think it, uh, there, there, there was a sense that it, it could happen further down the line I, I thought the fact that when it fell through initially um the the, the saudis and amanda staveley and the rubin brothers didn't go away mm. i mean that told you something yeah. I, I i think I, I mean there there are people who work in um Premier League sports news who will know far more about the intricacies of, of, of this than me. But that was the thing that, that stood out to me straight away. And do you think that that was just to kind of go on to that point again, the whole like, was it an attempt to, to safeguard these clubs? They saw this happening and they thought, right, we're going to have to potentially mobilise a little bit quicker. Um, I'm, I'm not sure it was. I think um, if you look at the point at which Newcastle had taken over, this has this takeover has a much more instant impact on the shape of the Premier League if it happened five six years ago I think um, and obviously in time it will make a difference to um, the phrenology of the of, of the Premier League but I think in terms of Newcastle getting where they want to get quickly arguably one of the worst things that that has 
that could have happened to them in the last six or seven years is Leicester City winning the Premier League because um, they're coming from a very different place, of course, with very different financing. Although, of course, they have a wage bill that you know is bigger than most European clubs out there nowadays, and they're on a different plane to when they won the league. But that season, when Leicester won the league, obviously it took them doing very well and all the other big clubs having a mare. And those clubs all sort of within themselves, and I guess like in terms of collective interest as well, they all looked at themselves and said, right, we can't let let, let this happen again. This is never going to happen again. And they all re-upped and pulled up the drawbridge. And since that point, it feels as if breaking the top four is so, so hard because of the the, the teams that are above and, you know, you, you think uh, Liverpool have vastly improved since then as well. They've started to expand the stadium. Um, you, you know, you look at Tottenham and their new stadium and they're on a different financial level now. And um, I guess belatedly, Enoch have started lobbing some proper cash in under Antonio Conte, who's very much a catalyst for, for that. So I think, say if Newcastle had been taken over like 10 years ago, with this sort of money, I think you're looking at getting in the top four within three years. I think that is a much harder task now. And that is why the reformatting of the Champions League in 2024 is really going to help them get to where they want to go on a shorter sort of timescale. Interesting. People's uh, heart rates should probably get checked at that point, hearing that news, because it keeps happening to me every, <laughs> every single time. Any any mention of that? Any, any Yeah, any, any time Bruno drops in that he wants to be playing Champions League football in the next 10 hours or something like that, because he, he loves it, he loves it. Um, but yeah, moving away from the FA, let, let, let's move towards that that Champions League side of things. UEFA themselves obviously have uh, seen the PSG thing happened. They've been privy to Real Madrid for all time, I guess, and all of the other things that come with it. But how do you ever see these, you know, state-owned clubs, um, Newcastle in particular, how would they see this? Would they see this as an opportunity or are they very much like, let, let's keep out of that and let's just let the, the various organisations do their thing? They don't see them as one entity. I think they see them all as individuals. And I think... What I would think about if I was running Newcastle United or working with the people who run Newcastle United is look at what PSG have done. They are the big winners from the Champions League so far. Now, of course, that that might change. You know, the, the, the Super League is not completely off the table and um, the legality of stepping outside of UEFA and setting up your own competition, that's something that's being battled away in a Madrid court at the moment, which is really quite important in the in the history of and future of European club football. But I would look at the way that Nasser Al-Khalifi has used this opportunity to really cozy up to UEFA, to become friends with them. When Andrea Agnelli and Juventus um, stepped aside, Real Madrid were jumping ship, of course. They were heavily involved in it as Florentino Perez was, was, was leading the thing. And PSG thought, right, we've got an opportunity here. We can strengthen our position within European club football. And so Nasser Al-Khalifi is, is now more influential in the ECA, the European Club Association. Um, PSG, who have had their accounts picked over in forensic detail by UEFA, like Manchester City, 
in recent years because of where the sponsorship's coming from, because of the amount of spending. And these are all issues that are important to Newcastle going forward. I think if you can get yourself inside the tent, it gives you a big advantage. And I think that's what we've seen with PSG. And if Newcastle are smart and the people who are running Newcastle are smart and there's nothing to suggest they're not so far, they've played everything very, very cleverly, that's what they'll be doing, I would say. Yeah, I was, my, my question was kind of going to be that. Do you think that that's going to be on their radar? Do you think that cozying up to UEFA, like identifying that that's how PSG... Because Amanda Stavely came out and said that, you know, she kind of criticised the Super League, right? She came mm. out and said that it was bad, potentially bad reputationally for the for the mm. game as a whole and for clubs involved in it. And it's interesting because she didn't own a club at the time that it all I, I just I always wonder like would she have said that if that like if this opportunity had presented itself maybe a year oh. later and she but regardless it didn't and she has said that and they also as far as I'm aware and I might be wrong but I think they didn't sign the new charter there was an owner's charter um sort of put to mm. owners and I'm pretty sure I don't know if every other club in the Premier League signed it, but I don't think she, the Rubin Brothers and PIF did. And I'm just interested in whether or not you think like those comments and that choice at that time ties into sort of greater sort of, uh, I want to call it for some reason, I want to call it like a grand evil plan, but not evil. <laughs> grand, <laughs> definitely not evil plan. Like good plan, great plan. Do you think it ties into that somehow? Um, I, I know what you mean. I, I think um, it goes back to what we were talking about before, how Amanda Staveley was talking like she was an owner before she was an owner. You know, I, I think they they knew this was coming, you know, and they were always in for the, for the long haul. But it's, it's just such a... It's, it's such a... Not just a pivotal, but like volatile moment. I think in in European football and European club competition history, that I think they have to prioritise flexibility, and everything Newcastle have done so far prioritises fl- flexibility. Right back to what we're talking about with the length of the contracts for for Wood and, and and Trippier, I think they're very aware that things are changing. They're very aware that they could get more involved by staying flexible, and I, I think that's the way they're going to look at it and the way they should look at it. That's a very good point, isn't it? It's kind of allowing themselves malleability. Yeah. She wasn't saying, God, they were bloody dreadful. I'll never join a Super League. That was an awful idea. She mm. was saying that that iteration of how it came about and the sort of underhand way or like the, and the clubs involved were not something she would have wanted to be involved in like that. I think as well the the other point that that pertains to that is is the fact that if you're building something at Newcastle, especially after the Mike Ashley years, you need the supporters on board because what makes Newcastle such a a hugely important club over the last ten to fifteen years, and it's because of the way that Ashley has run it to such a large to a large extent, of course. Um, people outside the city they haven't known that much about Newcastle because they haven't really cared. You know, there's been nothing to say about them. And the only thing that makes Newcastle a big club, 
that makes Newcastle important is the supporters. Is the fact that the stadium is right there, like unlike any other, slap bang in the middle of the city. That is the heartbeat of it all. And there are so few clubs like that, not just in England, but in Europe. And those 50, 60,000 that have, have turned up, even when the team have been borderline unwatchable, they have made Newcastle United stay alive and continue to, to be important. And when you're buying into the club, you've got to know that. Now, what they're going to do is like Liverpool with this means more, like Dortmund with true love. And of course, these are clubs that are running very different ways. Quantifying that atmosphere, quantifying what makes them special, and then dropping it in living rooms in Malaysia, in Singapore, in Australia, in South Africa, in New York, wherever else. That is what is going to make Newcastle fly. And what the Premier League as a brand actually does so well is bring that atmosphere that you get with, and you hear players who come from abroad talk about it, the fact that it's kind of claustrophobic. The way that the stadiums are built, the way that the crowds are full, it feels like the, the fans are on top of the pitch. And what the Premier League has done so well historically is bring that atmosphere into people's front rooms all over the world. And that's what makes them care about the Premier League. And once the ownership of Newcastle can work out how to quantify that, how to brand that, and how to pop that in people's front rooms all over the world, that's when Newcastle get beyond the realms and the passion of the city and become something much more powerful on a global scale. Going from Kenton to Kuala Lumpur. Oh, it's giving me goosebumps, Andy, giving me goosebumps. But that is why Mike Ashley priced the club. I think Alex said it, you know, Newcastle United was 300 odd million quid, not because we were a good football team with tons of assets, Mm. but we had, you're buying the fan base. You're buying one of the best fan bases in like, like ready-made. Here it is. They are diehard fans in a way that fans are not. Fans in England are, fans of the big fans of their football club right but Newcastle again it's the delusion but we are like you're right there is something quite special the clubs right here in the city and, and all of that stuff I, I was gonna have a quick question just I mean Charlotte feel free to answer this one as well actually because I just given what I've seen from the fans so far and you know how people are saying about like you know we we don't we, we can't really do much protest against our owners but let's say if a future thing came into this, another European Super League that Newcastle were invited into and they decided, all right, we're going to try this. I'm not sure how many Newcastle fans would protest in the same way that Chelsea fans did because that's, I don't know, I don't know if that's maybe, we seem to be okay with a lot of stuff at the moment is what my question is. And would it be something where that would be the thing where fans went, right, no, that's it. What do you think? (laughs) I'm just pointing at me because I was gonna. (laughs) It's a good question, and I know you've asked it of Andy, and I will be quiet in a second. Oh, I'm interested in both. Both (laughs) to me, the the stuff that you're sort of alluding to that fans have already sort of said, "Oh, well, we're not going to get involved with that." That is not domestic, right? That is not doesn't it, it doesn't pertain to the game. It doesn't pertain to going to the ground on a Saturday and getting a pint, and then you know the Super League did. And I think it was just, I don't know, maybe we would be more forget. Andy, you jump in. Well, I, I think the, the interesting thing about England and the Super League is 
you, it's, it's like they say in the usual suspects, you've got to work out where the political pressure is coming from. In England, it was always FOMO. It was never a case of the clubs thinking, we need money, like Juventus, like Real Madrid, like Barcelona. It's never a case of saying, we've hit our ceiling. How are we going to not keep the lights on, but keep bringing the star players in? You know, how are we going to keep being this big brand? With the Premier League, because you've got this massive TV deal, because you've got incredible TV deals that sell the product all over the world, and because it's voraciously consumed all over the world, there's not really a, there's not really a need to do that. Now, I think it's interesting, say Liverpool's involvement, for example. Now, Charlotte, you were talking before about the American outlook. And that idea of a closed league where you have guaranteed major income, from an American perspective, that's that's just a no-brainer, isn't it? You just go for it. But there's massive cultural resistance to that over here. And part of that is because of who and what we are historically. And the fact that, you know, arguing with people at work over derbies is a huge part of our culture. And look, I'm not going to press you too on whether you miss Sunderland too much, but I'm looking forward no, the to the resumption no. of I'm looking forward to the resumption of the derby in the next couple of years when when they finally get their act together. Let's put it that way. And by that point you'll be amazing because you'll have spent loads on the team. So they'll you'll still be beat us. They'll well. still beat us, Andy. They'll find <laughs> a no, way. They've, no, they I'm not gonna swear that they <laughs> we, we we looked so good against them in those years and I'm scared. I, I can't sit through another derby. I'm so scared. I'm so scared. Yeah as long as as long as the canio doesn't come back right to <laughs> to, 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 we'll just to wheel out Amiobi it'll be fine. Years. Yeah, oh, exactly. Just think of the headlines if Saudi Arabian owned Newcastle have to face up against Paolo Bloody Di Canio. I mean, oh my God. Oh Lord. But but it's, it's it's not just that. It's not just the fact that we're a small country with loads of football clubs crammed in next to each other and we like that rivalry and the domesticity of it is important. It's the fact that Sky has been telling us for the past 30 years, this product is amazing. And we believe it. We believe it. We all believe. I think if you asked, I know, if, if you went into the junction uh, before the Nottingham Forest game and asked 50 fans in there, is the Premier League the best league in the world? I think you'd struggle to get one or two that said no. Yeah. You know? So I, I think it's feels... Just away your pre-match ritual, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Eventually yeah, I'll find no, someone. You're right. Eventually you're I'll right. find someone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're absolutely right. Like, Everybody, like players want to come, players are bought into that too. Like, mm. it's not just the fans, it's players being like, Well, I want to play in the Premier League. You come from League One, or, um, or okay, La Liga had its had its, had some pretty heady years, but it's mm. kind of coming out of that. Um, Syria, like, players w- want to come to play in the Premier League. That is the goal, isn't it? So, it does feel, doesn't it, that there's something worth protecting on an emotional and a commercial level, actually. Mm. Yeah. And what, what do you but, think? Oh, God, Charlotte, sorry. <laughs> totally hijacking this is so sorry. But, you know, fans were not thinking we must commercially protect the Premier League. Oh, no, no. <laughs> Although, you know what? It is one of those things that, like, I don't think any fans are completely divorced from commercial concerns nowadays because the chats that we have about, and the chats that Newcastle fans have had about 
that we're not going to be ripped off for players. And I, I, I always sit there thinking, why do you care? Yeah, it's, it's, it's not it's your not, money. It's not your money, Ex- exactly. But the thing is, we do all care about that. And we all sit there and discuss whether we want to win a cup or, or finish in the top four, which, you know, is, is not obviously not a discussion that happens like 25, 30 years ago. So, you know, it's very, very few supporters are completely blind to the commerciality of it. Yeah, yeah. You, you do get some of those conversations in the junction, but not too often, if I'm honest. So uh, <laughs> uh, who knows if that'll be the topic on the first day. Uh, just just very quickly before we wrap up, because we've only got a few moments left. Um, Andy, obviously, you, you've been following Newcastle reporting on the games. You've seen the movement that's starting there. H- how long do you think it's going to be until we get into the Champions League? Will this expansion of the Champions League work? And I guess that the final point is just, you know, will this demon actually come back or will this iteration of the Champions League be that that thing that everyone from the uh, the clubs that broke off want? It's, it's a great question. Um, I think it, it feels as if, it, I think a lot of it comes down to this Madrid court case. And then we'll see whether Real Madrid and Juventus can, can press on from, from there. Because it's not really about competition format. It's about branding. It's about the right to negotiate your own TV and audio rights. That's that's what it's all about. Um, in terms of the, the, the competition format, as, as it is, it does feel, and it's you know it's felt in the past with the Champions League that it's been a very uneasy acquiesce between the governing body and the club. Now I know Tarek Panjers made the point that. Um, Part of the problem with it is the fact that UEFA is both disciplinary slash organisational body. It's a disciplinary body and it's an organisational body, which is a a huge contradiction in terms of, you know, and and they've not felt post that attempted mutiny that they can really crack the whip and bring in sanctions because it could really alienate clubs clubs that they need to work with clubs that they need to get out there and 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 sell their product so i think until until this attempt at a champions league is sort of blown over or at least gone on the the, the back burner and it's never going to completely go away there's there's no chance there'll be rethinks reformattings um new club um, ownerships and governorships that, that, that want to have a try at it and want to come at it from a slightly different angle. Um, if this current iteration blows over and we do get to Champions League 2024, I think that's a great opportunity for Newcastle, like I said. And I think you look at who the competition are at the moment. Obviously, they're going to try and attempt to have, and they, I know this doesn't sound very Newcastle, but they're going to try and attempt to have a sensible season next season Mm. i think you you look at it and you think good solid strengthening of the team next season maybe top eight top ten a cup which would get you into europe in the first instance we would love a cup Uh, and then wouldn't we all Uh, (laughs) and, uh, and then you get to the point in 23 24 where maybe the ownership decide okay or maybe we can do something here. Because either you find this back doorway under the new format of getting into the Champions League that way, or as a club of their resources should definitely be looking at, if you win a cup or finish high enough up in the league or or whatever, 
to get into the Europa League in season 23-24, you win it and you're in the Champions League. So, you know, if as stands, you know, I think back to like Manchester United winning the Europa League. And apart from that, there can't be many clubs with the sort of financial might of Newcastle who've competed in the Europa League in, in, in recent years. So that is something that you could throw yourselves in for. And that could be your other entrance into the Champions League. There are a couple of big objectives if you play it right and you get to 2023, 24 in the right shape where that season you can really go for it. Yeah. Those goosebumps everywhere now. <laughs> I, don't want, I just don't want like, Emil, that's such a lot of information. Uh, I just oh, don't want like the, the Champions League rug to be pulled from under our feet just as we're getting to that point. Because mm. as we all know, everyone's out to get us so it's nobody wants to succeed so i just feel like that's coming spoken loudly from a northeast postcode right there um that's what we like um andy uh thank you uh ever so much some uh stellar answers there uh and some things that newcastle fans will want to hear a lot more of so go and find andy he's on twitter he's everywhere he's on the football ramble the brilliant football ramble uh which i am uh, contracted to say because i appeared on it once so there we go the deal is done now <laughs> we never have to speak to each other again but it's going to be interesting to see what happens and uh certainly those back from the brink podcasts that we mentioned uh, are worth listening to uh, this has been the true faith podcast thank you very much for joining us and we'll see you soon